Um, let's, let's go ahead, though, and uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to look at Exodus 19 together tonight. And, uh, I, you know, I start out every week thinking, let's see if I can, how much time can I get out of this? Let's see if I can do it. And then I think, I'm, I'm not going to have enough time to discuss all that this has. And so we'll try to, to squeeze something out of it tonight for our good, um, because it is truly there. But let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on our time. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Uh, you're good to us, and we ask you to... Uh, to help us to realize that your kindness to us is, is a call for us to, to seek after you. Um, it should remind us, Father, to repent from our sins and live that life of, of turning toward you always, God. And help us to, to flee, flee from sinful desires or temptations, as your word says, and to pursue after righteousness and holiness God, even as we look at our passage tonight, we'll be reminded that, that you are holy. And so, Father, uh, as we seek to, to dwell in your presence with you, God, may we seek after holiness as well, just as your word has told us to. Father, we thank you um, for so many opportunities we have to, to serve you that you've blessed us with here at, at Taylor's. I pray for Pastor Stephen as he makes his way back here and, and finishes up where he's at in South Asia, makes his way back and hear the good reports and has the plans for, for what we may do in the future there, opportunities rising. We just pray for his protection even in all of that as well. And God, we just ask that, uh, for all the things, everything going on in the life of our church. I was just thinking about this morning, uh, all of the ladies on our campus with our moms, our ladies who are studying together, just really thankful for, for so many opportunities to, to learn and to grow here. So God, give us more grace every day to live for you and to strive after the holiness that you desire for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Exodus chapter 19. If you remember last week, we, of course, did chapter 18 where Moses received some advice from his father-in-law as he came back, Jethro. Jethro came and, and uh, kind of as Moses relayed all that the Lord has done. So Moses, as we talked about last week, shared that good news of what the Lord has done in redemption with his father-in-law. His father-in-law says, I know the Lord. Uh, he was a priest in Midian, but now he knows the Lord of Israel. And then as his father-in-law observed what Moses was doing, kind of bringing in all the leaders and all the people of Israel and constantly acting as a judge, he says, you can't do this by yourself. You have to appoint others to do this. That's for the health of you and for your people. And so Moses took this advice and we ended there. Chapter 18 of Exodus kind of serves as a pivot point. Looking back, all God had done, the people had been delivered from Egypt. We went through that. They'd been brought through the Red Sea. They brought, they came up here into the wilderness looking back at all that God had done. And now we're moving to another section. We're moving to excuse me, to a new section. As Jethro gives advice to Moses on how he should govern the people, one thing becomes clear. If Moses is going to disperse the or, or delegate the privilege of, of judging the people in their disputes, then there has to be some written standard by which you can do that. In other words, we can always train up somebody to do what we do. And that's what you're called to do, right? Train up somebody. They walk alongside you. They do those things. But if you are going to grow those who do what you do uh, more exponentially, you have to kind of write down the process. You know what I mean? If it's just you and one other person, hey, just follow me. I'll show you what I do. But if you've got a group of people or a large group of people or wanting to grow it more, you have to kind of come up with a strategy and a process. Well, the Lord knows that. And so as they go to solve these disputes, we go into chapter 19. And the Lord says, I'm going to tell you what is expected. Reminding you here, that the Lord says that he's saving his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, delivering them from that so that he can be with them. The Lord wants to be with his people. And so how can a holy God dwell with an unholy people becomes the next section of Exodus. In fact, as you look, it tells us here 
in chapter 19 on the third new moon. By the way, has anybody looked at the moon lately? Hadn't that something? Now, now they said on the, on the Christian radio today, I was listening to that. I don't often listen to the radio because sometimes it's just noise. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I got y'all. But uh, I was today, and they said that this hasn't happened and will not happen again for 50,000 years. And I sat there and go, bull, y'all don't know what you, none of y'all were alive 50,000 years ago. And none of y'all going to know. So that's easy to say. You know what I'm saying? It ain't happened for 50, well, it's in the mathematics, whatever. All I know is it looks nice right now. And at 11 o'clock tonight, if some of y'all can stay up, they say it's going to be the most impressive of ever before. So some of y'all can stay up 11 o'clock tonight is when it's supposed to be. Now, if it's not, don't blame me. That's what the Christian radio says. And Christian radio is always true. Um, but, and I don't know why I said that other than we got the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So if we consider that, now you're talking about third new moon. You're talking about a for our calendar, about two and a half months. They're operating on, on the schedule of the moon, a lunar calendar, if you will. So for, as we know, that's 28 days. So if you go with a third one, you're talking about two and a half months when you stack all that up. So since the time they left Egypt to the time they get to Sinai has been about two and a half months. That's been all the way through going through the Red Sea. That's been traveling through the wilderness. That's the bread in the morning on the ground, the manna every morning. That's the quail coming into the camp. That's the water from the rock incident. All of that as they walk through the wilderness is about two and a half months until they get here to Sinai. Now, just to give you some understanding, they're going to be at Sinai, I believe, for 10 months. They'll be at Sinai for 10 months. But in those 10 months, the scriptures, uh, it will cover a period from here in Exodus chapter 19 all the way, I believe, to Numbers chapter 10. Y'all hear what I'm saying? This next section is a large section at Sinai. This is where God comes down. God gives the law. Not only that, God tells Moses what the case law is. God explains, here's how you're going to build the tabernacle. Here's how you build the Ark of the Covenant. Here's how you do. He even is going to tell them, this is how you march as a people. When you go out, this is the tribe that's in the front. This is the tribe that's in the back. These are the tribes to the south. He's going to give them instructions for every single step of the way. And he will do that through Leviticus as well. In Leviticus, he'll say, here's not only the cases in Exodus, he'll give them the case law, but in Leviticus, he's going to say, here's how you put this into practice. Here's what it looks like for your priesthood. Here's what the priests are to do. Here's how they are to deal with sin in your midst. Here's how they are to handle all of these things. All of this is going to come at this stretch here in Sinai, which is about the next 10 months for the people of God. They'll leave out of there, head off into the wilderness. On their way through the wilderness, they'll get all the way to the promised land where they send the spies in to spy out the land. Twelve spies, one from each tribe. Those twelve spies will come back. Ten of them will say, they're too big. It can't be done. We're going to die if we go in there. Only Joshua and Caleb stand up. So from that point, you'll have 40 years until that generation dies out to only Joshua and Caleb are left to go in. But this section here is 10 months that will get us up into the book of Numbers until they leave Sinai. So that just gives you a little bit of timeline on this. They set out from Rephidim. He's given you the, the path by which they take. They came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying... Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that, I, that you 
shall speak to the people of Israel. Here, this passage is important in many ways. Uh, one, the Lord is going to implement a new covenant, if you will, at this point, uh, with the people of God. He's going to make a promise here. But not only that, he's appearing to Moses again. Remember, God appeared to Moses back in chapter 3. In fact, if you flip back with me to chapter 3, I, I hope you can. If you flip back with me to chapter 3, we find that story here again, uh, the burning bush, a story all of us are familiar with. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is important because there the Lord met Moses, this bush that was burning yet not consumed. He met him and began to speak to him. And at the end of that section there, verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. I will be with you, the Lord says, Moses, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Right? So God says all of these things. He comes, he appears to Moses. Y'all remember what he says in Exodus 3 when he appears to Moses. He says, I want you to go get my people out of Egypt. It's time for me to do. I remember the promises I made that I will not leave them there. It's time for me to go and get them. He heard their cries, the oppression they were facing. It's time, the Lord says, for me to go. Moses says, all right, I'll go, but you got to tell me your name. How am I going to go if I don't have your name and by having his name have his authority? And so God says, I am who I am. There we find the Lord uh, gives his covenant name with Israel. Yahweh is where we get that from. I am who I am is sending you. So Moses gives a couple of excuses and the Lord says, well, here's your sign, right? Here's your sign. I will send you into Egypt. You will get my people out of Egypt, bring them out. I'm going to bring you out. And when you get back to right here, the mountain of God, I'll meet you again. Well, what we have in Exodus 19 is the fulfillment of that. Now, you may say, Josh, wait a minute. In Exodus 3, he's at Mount Horeb. In Exodus 3, he's at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. But here, he's obviously at Mount Sinai. We know this as Mount Sinai. But we need to look at a few passages to realize that Moses uses Mount Horeb, the name Mount Horeb, and Mount Sinai interchangeably. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. I usually don't make y'all flip around, so I'm going to make you flip around a little bit tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, I wrote this down, and sometimes I write things down. I got no idea why, but let's make sure it says what I think it says. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. In other words, here in Deuteronomy, he's giving the Ten Commandments again. Remember what happened to the first Ten Commandments. Y'all remember? We ain't got there yet in Exodus, so it's okay if you don't know. But if you remember, Moses crashed those things after they were worshiping a false god when he came down, the golden calf. And here in Deuteronomy, the law is given again. In fact, the very name Deuteronomy means second law. It's given again. The Ten Commandments are... And so here in our passage, chapter 5... Here, the Lord is saying, remember what I did, and what name of the mountain does he use? Mount Horeb. Well, where did he do it? Mount Sinai, right? Y'all see what I'm saying? They're used interchangeably. Or you can look here in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings comes right before 2 Kings. And it's in chapter 8, verse 11, I believe. No, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. He's talking about the Ark of the Covenant that's brought into the temple. And it says, There was nothing in the Ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at where? Horeb. Or there's even some more passages in the text that, do, that does this, that kind of proves this. Not that I have to prove it on out. 
But I do believe we see this in chapter 3, verse 1, the mountain of God is Horeb. I also believe uh, that we see this in chapter 33 of Exodus. Verse 6. Chapter 33, verse 6. Therefore, the people, the Lord, by the way, calls, just to kind of give you a heads up of what some things are going to happen, uh, say to the people of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. They're at Mount Sinai. They don't wear them from Mount Horeb onward. In other words, these two mountain titles are used interchangeably. And what that means is, is here in chapter 19, Moses gets to that same place he met God with the burning bush. That same place that he met God there. And what happens? God told him the first time he met him, I'll meet you again right here. I'll come, this is be it. I'm going to send you and I'll meet you right here. And now Moses brings the people of God, having been led by, there by the pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, God himself, brings them right back to where God said, I'll meet you here again, which will be a testimony to you that I have brought you safely out. And so here in chapter 19, God meets Moses again at the same place he met him with the burning bush, which reminds us again, that something that runs throughout scripture, but I can't, I can't ever stop getting enough of being reminded that God keeps his promises, right? Because we forget that quite often. That's where worry comes from. That's where anxiety comes from. That's exactly what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry. I've told you I'm going to take care of you, so don't worry about tomorrow. I got you covered, right? Don't worry about those things. That worry and anxiety that we face so often in life comes from us not quite remembering every time that God is always faithful to do everything he said he would do. And just as he said he would bring Moses, send Moses into Egypt, Moses was worried about that. He says, just as I'll send you in, I'm going to bring you back out. And I'll prove it to you by meeting you right here in a few hours. This is like growing up. You know what I'm saying? This was, this was before cell phones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now I know exactly where my kids are. They may hate it, but I got this little app on my phone that can tell me right where they are all the time. But not Mo the Lord knows where Moses is, but what happens here is just like we used to do when you went somewhere, you know, all right, everybody meet right back here at 1015. You know what I'm saying? Everybody get right back to this spot at 1015. We'll meet up and then we'll go out again and meet back. Y'all remember how that works? I try to explain this to my kids. You know, how, do you, how did you live back in the day? We wrote, you had the notepad right by the door. I'm gone to my friend's house. I'll be back at 11 o'clock. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, this is exactly what the Lord does to Moses. I'll meet you right back here, which will prove to you I'm faithful. I'll keep, your, I'll keep promises. And so oftentimes it's the way God works that he keeps his promises and he shows these signs as he says that I am faithful. And we see his faithfulness again. And just consider what's happened from the burning bush till Exodus 19. At the burning bush, you got Moses who just for 40 years has settled on being a shepherd for a guy named Jethro out in the middle of the wilderness he didn't even have a people in some ways. He, he, he was raised by the Egyptians. He tried to defend the Hebrews and they kind of rejected him. And he's out here just trying to live his life and shepherd some sheep. And remember when God came to him, he was 80 years old. And so here Moses, 80 years old, been working with the sheep for so long. At it, the Lord shows up in a bush and he says, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to send you back and I'm going to bring you out, and I'll meet you right back here again. And that's what we have in Exodus 19. And when the Lord meets him, he's got the next thing for him. All right? I have delivered you. In fact, look at what he says. He says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. This is the people he's told before you're going to deliver them. Now, Moses, i got something else for you. Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. In other words, he's reminding them of what just happened. The Lord does this quite often. Let me remind you 
of what I did for you. Let me remind you of that and understand what he's saying here. The Lord is saying, I've already redeemed you. I've already saved you. I've already called you out. So remember how I did it. Remember what I did. Remember how I already saved you. He'll do this again. We, we, we'll come up next week on chapter 20. Y'all know Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Um, I did a whole series here at Taylor's on each one of the commandments. We'll try to go through Exodus 20 rather quickly next week. We're not going to stop on each one of them. We did a whole series that you can still find on each one of the Ten Commandments here on a Sunday morning. But remember what I kept saying at the beginning of every one of those services. Those Ten Commandments are not what we have to do to be saved. Because how do they start? They start with chapter 20, verse Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, I have already redeemed you. Now here's how you live. In light of the fact that I've already saved you, here's how you live. Here's how you live. Not in order to be saved, but because I already have saved you, here's how you live. And in that way, we recognize exactly the same thing. The Lord says he bore them on eagle's wings. He uses this language throughout scripture, just like, just like Isaiah 40, a passage we love. Y'all probably got cross-stitched on your wall or something, you know, be raised up on eagle's wings and, and all this kind of stuff. You'll run and not grow weary. And so ultimately, you know these passages. He uses this a lot, how he bears them out on eagle's wings, saving them from them, brought you where? He didn't say, he doesn't say, I'm the one who brought you to Sinai. I'm the one who brought you right here to this mountain again. What is he, where does he say he brought them to? The Lord's speaking here, and every word's important. Remember, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who bore you through the wilderness, took you right, bore you on eagle's wings right through the Red Sea, and brought you right here to bring you to where? Myself. To be where? I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. And so here he says that. Now, therefore, in light of that, I've saved you, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Here, obedience. Obedience is never, ever a condition of our salvation. Understand how important that is. We truly believe that we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith, right? Nothing we can do to earn our salvation. God is not doing, like, not saying, here's what you got to do in order to get into heaven. He has saved us just simply by believing in Christ Jesus. By faith, we find our salvation. Just by believing. He's done it all. All we got to do is believe. And so here, we need to know that obedience that he's calling for is not a condition of our salvation. And here, it's not even a condition of blessing. He saved you and he's blessing you as you come out. You brought you out of slavery, brought you out of bondage. You don't get blessed just simply by being obedient. He's already blessing you. So it's not a condition on salvation or blessing, but it is emphatically a condition of our mission. It's emphatically a condition of our mission. Here's what he says. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In other words, I've saved you to myself to be with you. Our mission is for us as a kingdom. You a kingdom, my kingdom, a kingdom of priests, for us to take you to the promised land, for me to dwell with you, to you to dwell with me. That's what we're going to do. And your obedience is a condition of the mission that's before you. I would argue the same thing for us today. Our obedience is not what saves us. God saves us by grace alone through faith. Not something we deserve by anything we've done. Only by grace alone through faith do we find salvation. Our obedience is not a condition of our salvation. I would even say our obedience is not a condition of our blessing. God has blessed us. He says he, he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In fact, Ephesians 2 tells us 
that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive because of the great love in which he loved us in Christ Jesus so that he could bless us with all the spiritual blessings. Our obedience is not a condition because he says there in Ephesians 2, that's by faith which is even not your own. It's a gift from God. Our blessings are not even a condition of this. But our mission, our mission is obedience is vitally important to our mission because we can disqualify ourselves from serving God and fulfilling the mission of God before us. And he says here, if you don't live for me, then we can't do this. If you don't obey me, we can't, break, we can't make this happen. If you don't follow after me, then this, this mission that we're going is going to fail. But the Lord says, I'm going to give you my covenant. This is God's covenant. God sets the conditions. And in this, he's giving an invitation. And this invitation can truly be rejected or accepted. As these people, you could, here's the mission before you. Here's what I'm calling you. Here's my covenant. I've already saved you. I've already redeemed you. Now you follow me and you be obedient. Obey my voice and keep my covenant. If you do that, then we'll fulfill what's laid out before us. We'll fulfill what's laid out before us. This mission that God gives even here to Moses that he states to the people is an invitation that can be rejected or accepted. But if you accept it, then God is calling you to, God is calling you to exclusive loyalty to him. If you accept this covenant that he makes, he's calling you to follow him. He saved you, he's redeemed you. Now here's how we live to fulfill the mission that is before us. You accept that mission, then he's calling you to exclusive loyalty. There is no space for other gods. He'll make that clear. There's no space to follow somebody else. There's no space to, to weigh out the decisions of who's smarter. God is saying, if you come after me, I'll make my covenant with you. And if you will keep my commandments, I will take you safely home. If you will not, then ultimately, ultimately we may fail. And what happens to the people of Israel, by the way? They're going to say what? We accept. And what's going to happen to this entire generation right here? They're going to fail. They don't keep the promise. They don't obey his commandments. Do they enter into the promised land? No, they don't. The mission was not fulfilled. Why? Because obedience is what God calls us to. Obedience is what God calls us to. And so he says, I'm going to take you or my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. In other words, God is going to make it so that his people can go directly to him. He will be in their presence. He's restoring here a little bit of what was lost at Eden, right? Remember at Eden, Adam and Eve, before they fell, were able to Walk with the Lord and speak to him. You remember how in the cool of the day, uh, they were able to walk with him and speak to him. But then when they fell, that was lost. They couldn't approach him. They couldn't get his presence. In fact, it was so dangerous that that may happen. They put the flaming sword, as it says, in front of the garden so they cannot enter into there again. The Lord is about to recreate this thing, if you will. He's going to take what had fallen and start the process of recreating it. And in recreating it, he's going to say, you will be a kingdom of priests. You will be able to come back into my presence. You will be able to talk with me and speak with me. In fact, when we get to the creation of the tabernacle itself, the tent of meeting, it is going to look like what? Y'all know? It's going to look like a garden. They weave the tree. You have the tree itself, the, the symbol of, of uh, Judaism even today with the menorah, a tree that reminds you of the garden itself. You have the presence of God. It's like his home. The Lord dwells there in the Holy of Holies. You've got the showbread. You've got the table. You've got the ark, which is his footstool. His throne is in heaven. His footstool is here on earth. God is dwelling with his people. That's the symbolism of the tabernacle itself. And it has this look of it even as the garden. This is where we can convene again with God. We can convene again with God. Now, it will have stipulation after stipulation. 
But this is God beginning the process of recreating what it takes, of what was broken in the garden, of recreating what it takes for the people to dwell with him again. Because there's coming a day where there'll be a new garden, a new heavens and a new earth. And the people of God will be with him as kingdom of priests. Everyone will have direct access to him. And even we already have that now. Y'all start to see how this part's putting together? The covenants themselves we've seen. We saw the covenant made with Noah. Uh, remember, and he told Noah, I'm not going to flood the earth again. I'll bring the fire next time maybe. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm not going to flood it this way. So we saw God's judgment, but God promises he's not going to judge in that way again. So he's looking for redemption because there through Noah you see redemption. And then how is God going to redeem this? You have him calling out Abram from the earth of Chaldeans and say, from you, I'm going to start a new people. And from those people, I'm going to bring my redemption because all the nations will be blessed. I'll give you a land. You have that covenant made with Abraham, and now you get to this covenant with Sinai. With each one of these covenants, it's like we're putting another uh, focus in on the lens. Does that make sense? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you have a, a microscope, if you will, and you just amp up the amplification. Is it amplification? Magnet, whatever. Y'all see, I knew y'all were smarter than me. Sometimes I, I, sometimes you can squeeze by and say just the right word, but barely, and y'all think, oh, he knows what he's talking about. But then sometimes you're like, I don't even know the word, and so it just obviously I don't have a clue. But magnification, you know how that you spin that little that little thing on the microscope and it gets brings it up a little bit more. Each covenant works like magnification. With every one, there's a little bit more detail coming of how God is going to redeem his people, right? He's not going to judge them again by flood. He's, he, he's, he's going to redeem them through this people raised up through Abraham. He's going to redeem them by calling them to holiness and righteousness that he will establish at Sinai. In other words, if you want to be in God's presence, you have to live up to this law that he's about to give. That's the rule. That's what's before you. If you want to enter into the presence of God and live and dwell with him, you got to live up to these standards. That's what he's saying. Here's my covenant. You want to fulfill the mission. This is what you have to do. You have to keep it. And now he's going to go through some odd chapters, kind of twofold. The first 10 commandments are going to be general. Generally, here's how you do. Then after that, he's going to go through case study after case study after case study after case study. Here's how you dwell with one another. Here's how you apply the law. Here's how it works. Then you go through Leviticus. Here's the requirements to be in my presence through sacrifices, through other things. You get it piled up, and that's why we come at it and go, holy, how can we? I was going to say holy cow, and that has a specific reference here in Exodus, if y'all know what I mean. But you come through it and you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't do all this. And then the statement is, but that's what it takes. If you want to dwell with God, that's what it takes. And so as he gives this covenant, you give a little bit more amplification. He's going to save you through a people and that people have to live according to these standards. What's glorious about the word of God, and I'll go ahead and go to this is as, a, as the amplification gets a little bit higher and a little bit higher and brings it more and more into focus, we see the promise of Abraham, land, people, blessing. We see the covenant given to Moses at Sinai, law that was required. We see the covenant made with David, a king will be on the throne and through him will be the blessing. We see even the new covenant that is made in Jeremiah where he'll write his law not on tablets of stone but on our hearts. Each one gives more and more amplification till you turn that knob just one more time and you see the true mountain of God. And it's a hill called Calvary where everything comes into focus. 
Because there's the one who fulfills the promises that was made to Abraham. And there's the one who fulfills the law that was set at Sinai. And there's the one who fulfills the, the covenant made with David that a king will reign in my place. And there's the one who says, I will cleanse you with my own blood and a new covenant will be made. And when that focus comes in, you keep getting tighter and tighter all the way through the Old Testament until finally it's Jesus. There's the one who's fulfilled it. There's the one who's made it all. And when you read this law, you're sitting there going, no way I can keep it. And I want to tell you, absolutely, you can't. But that's what it takes. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he accomplished for us. And so ultimately here, Moses lays it before the people. We've got to do this. If we want to get safely home, we've got to keep this. We've got to follow this. We've got to go after it. The people say we will. The people say, we'll do it. Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded them. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. By the way, this is not the first time this is going to happen. Uh, it'll happen again in Joshua. Remember the famous statement of Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. And what did all the people say? We serve the Lord. And what did they do? Not serve the Lord. Constantly they're saying, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll accept this. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. In other words, the Lord is saying, I am going to speak clearly now, Moses. I'm going to speak so everybody will hear. They'll know it's me talking. What I love about this whole stretch is a testimony to who God is again. Not just, not just that he's faithful, but that he's clear. The Lord God has not left us guessing what is required of us, has he? People always go, I wonder what, the Lord hasn't left us wondering. He tells them here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and speak so they can hear me clearly. Here's what is expected of you. The Lord has not left any of us guessing as to what is required of us. He has told us plainly in his word, clearly in his word. So he's not under some hot rock somewhere. He's not on a, it's not a scavenger hunt to figure out what we need to do when it comes to the Lord. It's not anything like that. The Lord says, here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. He says it. Remember, speaking about the holiness of God, I get off on some things, but here's a good Bible story. Y'all remember Uzzah? We, you remember Uzzah? He's got the, the ark, and the ark is coming back after he's been lost, and he's got it on a cart. And on the cart, it's not covered. And whenever the horse or ox or donkey or whatever it was stumbles, the cart begins to tip and Uzzah does what? Stretches out his hand to stop the ark from falling in the mud. And what happens? Uzzah dies. Uzzah made a dumb mistake. He made the mistake as into thinking that his hand was cleaner than the mud. But when it came to the holiness of God, he was a sinner that did not have the right. Well, you sit there and go, well, that's harsh, except for the fact God had already said, when you carry the ark, cover it. Don't carry it open. Carry it with a cover on it. Uzzah was trying to celebrate his victory of bringing the ark back to Israel. He wanted everybody to see it. But God said, don't you carry that thing publicly without a cover on it. And you know what else God said? When you carry it, put poles in it on each side. It had rings on each side. You put poles in it and don't let the ox carry it. You let the people of God carry it. God had already told him exactly how to carry it, and Uzzah was disobedient to how it should be carried. Do y'all see what I'm saying? It wasn't as if God was going, oh, I got him now. I'm gonna. God said, no, here's how you do it, and Uzzah didn't do it that way. His disobedience didn't allow him to fulfill the mission, and in his arrogance, he thought he could protect the ark. But he wasn't carrying it the way it was supposed to be carried, and God had already told him plainly. It's the same way for our life. God's not leaving you guys guessing. You don't have to wonder what he expects from you. He tells us plainly, just read his word. And here, he does it with Israel. Here is what's going to happen. Over these next several chapters, he's going to tell them plainly, here's what you must do. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. He tells them plainly what to do. So 
When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today, tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. Y'all don't watch out. The third day. Y'all, hey, if your mind wants to go there, go ahead and go there. I like that. You know what I'm saying? Be ready for the third day. Y'all get what I'm, anybody, everybody get what I'm saying? What happened on the third day? Come on, now we're talking. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. That's the same thing it said about the ark. Uzzah messed up by touching it, right? God already told him, don't do it. He's setting the limits and boundaries. He's telling them exactly what they should do. He's not keeping them guessing. He's not holding them to some standard he has not already set before them. So, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, they washed their garments, and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Don't read too much into that. What he's saying there is these rituals that they had of cleansing so be ready, cleanse yourself, prepare yourself, cleanse yourself, consecrate yourselves in these rituals before the Lord comes. You need to get ready. Why? Because the Lord's faithful, the Lord is clear, and the Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. In fact, as we look at this, we recognize that God alone is holy. We're going to learn this throughout. God is holiness. And when we talk about holiness, it's defined by God himself. We don't look to the world for find our standard of holiness. It's God who tells us what's holy and what's right. It's God who tells us what we should follow. God is holy and we look to the Lord to define holiness for us. Therefore, here Exodus chapter 20 and following is quite important. Why? Why is this all important? Why is it important that God defines holiness for us? Because what does Hebrews chapter 12 say? Hebrews chapter 12, there in verse 14, it gives you this one that's real easy. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's pretty deep right there. You're telling me without holiness, no one will see him, right? So we need to know what holiness is, right? We need to know what it is. We need to know how it is. How does, how does holiness work? What, what are we talking about here? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you're banking on seeing the Lord, without holiness, you won't do it. Now, ultimately, that's what the Lord's saying. So be holy, for the Lord is holy. Not just an Old Testament command, but a command even made in 1 Peter. Be holy, for the Lord is holy. That's the standard by which he set for his people. That's the covenant he made here at Sinai. But not only is God alone holy, only those who are made holy may approach God. Only the ones who are made holy can come into his presence, which is this consecrating of themselves. Remember how this works. When God shows up to Moses at the burning bush, what's the first thing God tells him? Take off your shoes. There's a statement of holiness there. Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. In other words, you can only come into my presence if I let you, and I will let you if you demonstrate the holiness that I have by taking off your sandals. Only those who God makes holy can enter into his presence. Only those who God makes holy can enter into his presence. We see that there with them. But I want to get to this third one here before we have to go. Third, when it comes to God's holiness, we recognize that God is the one who brings the grace and makes us holy. This is God initiating it. God is holy. Only those who are made holy can enter into his presence, and God makes us holy. He initiates it. He's the one who does it. This covenant is his. He doesn't have to look at them and say, here's how it works, come on in. He doesn't have to welcome, he doesn't have to save them out of Egypt. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. He could have left them in all of it. But God is the one who initiates salvation from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was God who killed the animals and clothed them so that they could be appropriate in his presence. It was God who gives the grace in every way. And that's exactly what grace is. The initiative of God to save his people. 
the kindness of God that is undeserved to save his people. God is the one who makes us holy. And how does he do it? By being clear of what's required of us. It is grace that God gave us his law. It is grace that we know what's required as his people. It's grace. And it's grace that we even recognize that we can't keep it. Paul says this. Paul says the law became like a school teacher to me. It showed me that I wasn't good enough. In every way, it showed me I sinned. In fact, Paul said when he's writing, who he described himself as what? The chief of sinners. But whenever he was convinced of salvation ultimately there, as he learned it, what did he say? He said, I, I, I thought about it. I haven't had any other gods. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was good. I, didn't, I kept all of these. He thought in his mind he had kept them all, right? But then he said, I got the coveting. Thou shalt not covet. And I realized, oh my goodness. And there he says, I found out I was a sinner. And I was in desperate need of a righteousness, a holiness that I did not have. But I found it. I found what I needed because it's not my righteousness that gets me into heaven, but it's the righteousness of Christ that is given to me upon the salvation that I receive whenever I call on his name. You see, what Jesus did was keep every single one of these commandments and where we were unrighteous in breaking them all, he was righteous in keeping them all and in keeping them now, he freely when we accept him, we exchange our unrighteous, filthy rags to be washed whiter than snow with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. The requirement to enter into the presence of God has not changed. It's just been kept for you. It's just been kept in your place. It's found in Christ. The holiness that is required without which no one sees Lord is found in Christ. And that's why the author of Hebrews continues and says, if you keep on sinning deliberately, there's nothing left for you because there's no more sacrifice. It's Christ. That's it. He's the one. He's the one who kept it. And if you think you can keep on in your sin, then you will never find God. So we've been saved. And Paul in Romans 6, since we've been set free and saved from our sin, do we just keep on sinning? He says, no way. We've been saved for righteousness. And y'all know what's interesting about the law of God? We oftentimes look at it as the negative. God's law is somewhat oppressive. It's keeping us from doing what we want to do. Well, if what you want to do is sin against the holy God and face his judgment and wrath, then by all means it is. But what we need to understand as believers is God's law is not oppressive for us. Actually, this is how we flourish. This is where we find life. When we recognize there's no other gods and we bow to the one and only true God, that's where you find freedom, not oppression. When you recognize there's no other one that you can turn to, no other salvation that you can find, he's the one who's done all That's not oppression for you to follow him. That's freedom. And that's why John says in 1 John, we love your law. Your commandments are our joy. Why are the commandments of God a joy and not a burden? Because when we realize that God has saved us in Christ, loved us when we were unlovable, pursued us when we were lost and undone in the slavery and bondage of our own sin, came after us with a deliverer greater than Moses who says, come and follow me. I'll take you safely home because I've already paid the requirements that you have in order to find salvation. When we find Christ who takes us out of darkness into light, then by all means it becomes our joy our joy to follow him and obey him. It's how we flourish. God's law is not burdensome for us, but a joy because it's how we flourish in this life. Ultimately, the Lord says, I've come, I'm holy, I'm going to save you, I'm going to make you holy, be ready. And in that last stretch on the 16th, 
verse 16. I like it. On the morning of the third day. Don't y'all love how the Bible works together? That's not, I don't, I ain't no way you can tell me that the same Holy Spirit that wrote this and inspired Moses is the same one who inspired the New Testament gospel writers, is the same one that told Jesus on the third day, hey, it's time, go ahead and get up. Y'all see what I'm saying? On the third day, the Lord showed up. On the third day already giving us a glimpse of how he's going to show up again one day. On the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. When God shows up, he shows up. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Fire represents holiness, refinement. And here you find it again. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. That's a moment right there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, up and down, and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. Let the Lord break out against them, and Moses, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up in Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down. And come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, God is faithful. God is clear again. God is holy. And God is dangerous. He's not one that we toy with. He's not some one that you treat like another little buddy in your group of friends, right? He's one that demands our respect and our reverence and our honor. But just as much as he is dangerous, he is good. He is good. And he says to them, I'm going to tell you what you must do. I've saved you. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now here's how you live. Here's how you live as my people. And for us, what a blessing. In the kindness of God, in the kindness of God, he has given us his law. And in the kindness of God, he has given us his son. And given us his son, he's fulfilled the demands of the law that are put upon us so that we can be free, so that we can meet him in Christ. And God's kindness, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, leads us to what? repentance when we realize how good God has been to give us his law and give us Christ to fulfill it we realize how kind he has been then we say Lord every time I've broken it I'm sorry every time I've sinned against you I'm sorry every time I've turned against your law and you and what you commanded me Lord forgive me in Christ Please, I am sorry for the last thing I ever want to do is to tread against a holy God. I claim nothing today, Lord, in and of myself. Only Christ Jesus is what I claim. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Christ and all that he is for us. Help every single one of us to rest in him today. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all so much for being here. We'll see y'all Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Acts chapter something.